Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. My co-host, Cole Miller, is back with me this week. We're going back to our roots a little bit. We don't have any kind of special guest on for this episode. It's Cole and I breaking down some of the Pac-12 prospects. We got five guys here that we definitely wanted to make sure we revisited and or, as Cole and I were just talking about, hit on on this podcast for the first time. Cole and I really haven't had a discussion about Chris Duarte at all from Oregon, so we're definitely going to get into him. Um, Cole, how are you doing this week, my man? Are you ready to dive into some of these guys? Yeah, it's going to be a nice refresher on some of these guys like Josh Christopher, who we talked about a great deal in the beginning of the season, I'd say. And then you know, as other guys develop throughout the year, you talk about them, of course. But we're getting closer and closer to the draft and, you know, kind of dust off the cover- cupboard a little bit on some of these guys. Yeah, and, and somebody like Christopher, for example, um, ha- has gotten a little bit of buzz recently, been compared to some other guys. And it's it's nice to revisit what he could be, where he should be drafted, where he falls in line um, with some guys like like a Cam Thomas, for example, right? Like, how does he compare to some of these other score-first guards that you can find somewhere in, like, the mid to late first round of the draft? But we'll, we'll, just, we'll just start out with the big man, kind of get him out of the way. The, well, one of the whole reasons why podcasts like ours get traction in the first place is anytime you can have conversation over one of the quote-unquote top five guys you're probably going to get some buzz, right? And, and Evan Mobley definitely fits that bill. Um, I was going back and watching a few more games of his over the last week, and obviously he stands out on the defensive end. Everyone's pretty much beat that horse to death. He's this very switchable big man, has excellent feet, can really defend well in space, can change shots from virtually any part of the floor. Like, talk about some of the games I revisited he was blocking some three-point shots some deep twos like his range and his length the amount of ground and space he can cover and legitimately defend when he gets switched onto a guard or has to play in space and kind of keep a few perimeter players around him he doesn't get lost he keeps them in front of him he, he's just an excellent overall defensive player and you factor that in with his rebounding ability he averaged 8.7 rebounds a game so 3.7 steal combined steals and blocks almost three blocks per game so you know what you're going to get from him on the defensive end live body instinctual very intelligent defensive big man could potentially be somewhat of an anchor for you in the NBA down the road as he fills out his body. Um, offensively, Cole, you you and I have talked that he's not really your traditional throw it into the post, big man, going to make something happen. It's not that he doesn't have the footwork down there, but he doesn't really have the physicality and that nastiness to his offensive game to be able to operate on the block and kind of be a center for your offense that way. Um, he's much more comfortable facing up, uh, catching the ball, doing a quick drop step move, kind of getting into his offense that way, or, or he, he's tall enough to see over the defense. I mentioned his instincts defensively and how intellectual of a defender he is. He operates the game offensively that same way. He has really good vision for his size, can find guys on the move. Um, if, he, if he's playing out of, a, out of a pick and roll set, you get him the ball in the short roll, he can go, in the, go in, and find somebody else that way. So he can do a variety of different things on the offensive end as well, along with his jump shot. His mechanics are smooth as butter. He's going to be able to stretch that shot out. If he's not hitting threes at the NBA level in his rookie year, definitely by like his second or third season, I think he's going to be hitting threes at like a 37%, 36, 37% clip, probably right around that league average or, or a little bit above that league average mark so that's also really enticing and he's shown some mid-range scoring creation ability a little bit here and there over the college season as well so there's a lot to like about Mobley but I guess Cole my my biggest question to you I don't see him as a center long term in the NBA I I really think and I've said this to some other people and, and other people have kind of agreed with me in a sense that if you're sticking this guy in front of film and you want him to just study somebody's game and watch him you, you you're having him watch like Anthony Davis type film right that this face up forward can kind of do it all from the mid-range or from the perimeter 
uh, make plays for others, take somebody off the bounce if he has a step on him. You're not really throwing him into the post and, and, and relying on him to score that way. Now, Anthony Davis does have a post game. His body has filled out incredibly since he's been in the NBA because he has those broad shoulders, and you kind of saw those broad shoulders at Kentucky. You knew his body was probably going to fill out. I, I don't see Mobley's body filling out the same way, but he's definitely going to get stronger. I, I just don't see like that physicality to his game where like he wants to be banging down low all the time um, on offense or defense. I, I don't really think you want him doing it anyways. I think you want him being more of a Romo, rover, a playmaker in space. And if, if you talk about his lateral speed, his foot speed, his footwork, he could definitely step out and contain like a stretch for something on the perimeter. He's not going to get lost or, or, or beat a bunch on closeouts or whatever the case may be. So just given how his skill set comes together and where his body's at, where I project his body to end up, I think as a four-man, that's where he's going to settle in best in, in the NBA, like this Anthony Davis, Jaron Jackson type forward who, who can play center in a pinch or, or at times, but you know at the end of the day, you want a bigger body banging down low next to him alongside him. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think we've been on the same page for pretty much the whole season. You've been beating the Anthony Davis uh, development track drum for a while, so no reason to get off that now at this point. It's not like there's anything that's changed in his profile to be like, oh yeah, he's he's a surefire center now. And like you said, it's not like he couldn't do, play the position in a pinch. It's just not what we think will be his optimum uh, position in the league going forward. What you know, The position you want him at is definitely the four. I think that gives him the best chance to unlock all of his ability offensively. And as you pointed out, there's a great deal to like there. I mean, he's got he's really good with the ball in his hands. He makes great decisions, uh, you know, scoring for himself. But also, I think what really intrigues me as I you know dove into the stats a little bit more, um, it wasn't a ton of possessions where he he got the chance to do this, but he rated out as excellent as a pick and roll ball handler on synergy. So I think that really com that points to some of the offensive upside that he has. Um, and that we might see two, three years down the road. And I agree that he'll probably be hitting three-pointers at a pretty respectable rate in no time. His mechanics are fine. He's probably he's probably been in the gym working on that uh, since since the season ended. So I agree. I don't think he's a five. I think he's going to be a very, very talented four. And in a lot of drafts where we don't have the star-level talent at the top, he's probably going top three. He still might, honestly. Do you think that um, Jaron Jackson Jr. specifically, his, his career arc is probably reasonable expectation for Mobley as he comes into the NBA. Because obviously you can pick apart a few differences in their game. Whether Mobley's going to be able to shoot it at the same clip that Jackson can, obviously that much remains to be seen. And and Jackson, while, while, while Mobley and Jackson can both do things with the ball off the bounce, you mentioned some of the pick-and-roll playmaking that he did excel at when he got the opportunity to do so. Um, Jackson's more of like this slippery type ball handler off the move which is very rare you don't really see that from a big man usually when you when you're using the adjective slippery you're talking about a guard who has some of that movement ability some, some of that uh, ability to make defenders miss and kind of get through the teeth of, uh, unscathed uh, of the defense right you don't really talk about that from a big man but just from like a, a, a production standpoint from a career trajectory standpoint is that a much safer comparison to use with Mobley versus a name of like an all-star potential all-time great like Anthony Davis? Yeah, I think that's probably a safer round to fall in. Um, as you hinted at, there's going to be a difference in the type of numbers they put up. I think Mobley will probably be a better playmaker for others than Jaron is. And that's mostly because Jaron's just a, a better still athlete. He is like, you know, 6'10", six, 6'11", six, like really well put together and Mobley is that's not to say Mobley isn't but like there's just a little something different with Jaron's body than Mobley um, and so I think he's a little bit better at getting his own offense because of that are, are you concerned at all about his ability to to finish off finish around the basket or, or, or be a role man or, or anything along those lines obviously he we, we wouldn't have the same concerns about him as somebody like Kai Jones for example uh, but the fact that he's just so comfortable facing up and, and kind of playing from like the nail, kind of like out to the wing, like, like is that a concern for you at all? Do you think he's going to be lost in any way finishing around the basket in, in, in the NBA? Do you see that as a concern that he wants to play from the perimeter kind of like at all times and, and not really bang down low there as much? Or, or do you think that some of his coordination, his body control is going to allow him to do that with, with, with relatively no problems in the NBA and that a team could get him? and they can look to, to build out his skills more 
um, around the basket rather than just having him play exclusively from the perimeter. Yeah, I think the team will definitely work on that, and I think it will come for him. It's not like it's completely absent from his game right now, and he's a very skillful player, so if he puts his mind to it, I'm sure he can implement it. I just don't think it'll be a focal point of his game, really, at any point in his career. Do you? No, I don't think it would be a focal point, no. And, and, and that's one thing I think a team has to understand if they're going to draft somebody like Mobley. He's about as unique of a seven-foot talent as they come. But the fact that he is seven-foot, listed at about 210 pounds, um, it, it's another one of those scenarios we've talked about with a few other big men in this class. And, and even going back to the last draft class, like there's only so much weight you can ask these guys to put on their body without it potentially breaking what makes them special. In, in regards to their movement and their ability to stay healthy, right? Like, like let's say we we pack another like twenty five pounds on the Mobley, get them to get them to like two thirty five. Well, what does that do to some of that movement ability? Is he still able to uh, keep his coordination, his balance? Um, the, does it affect anything in terms of the weight that he has to now carry on his body? Does he start to to rack up like a foot injury or two? Does it wear on, on his knees or his other joints at all? Like there's just so many things that go into building out the body of like someone who's 6'10 or above that the normal talent evaluator doesn't even think about. Like, like you'll just, you'll pop on another uh, more, more casual basketball podcast and they'll be like, oh, that guy just needs to get stronger. Um, he, he needs to pack more on him. And it's like, there, there's a lot more that needs to go into that. And like you and I talking, we're not even like player development guys necessarily, right? Like we're, we're not like PD web breaking down every single angle of like how these guys are going to develop and get better. There's just kind of things that you and I have learned over the years. And from what we've seen that like, it, it's a lot more complicated than, than just quote unquote, getting stronger. Right. So it, it definitely yeah. concerns, and, and I, I don't know how you feel about Mobley trying to put on more weight or change his game at all in any way like that. But yeah, it, it, it concerns me anytime we just have those general conversations like that. Yeah, I mean, very rarely does do any athletes across any sport just naturally progress into you know perfect body, well, a perfect body state where they're this sinewy lean muscle, you know, tapered body. It's just, it's rare where it progresses into that. And so for Mobley, yeah, I don't think you want him packing on 20 pounds. You wouldn't want Pokashevsky packing on 20 to 30 pounds. Like <laughs> these guys, that would look pretty weird, honestly, but these guys need to figure out how to just get stronger with what they have. And I don't, I couldn't even begin to tell you what kind of exercises that encompasses, but that's what the professionals get paid to do. And Mobley will put on a few pounds. I mean, they will, as they get older, just, that's just how it goes. But same token, they're going to be doing all kinds of exercises we probably have never even seen at our local gym or even even at the Lifetime Fitness if you get to go there. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah, so he'll, he'll, he'll get stronger, but it's going to be in ways that we won't maybe get to physically see, so obviously. So I, I guess, like, the last point that really comes around about Mobley, because he's a projected top-five pick, I, I think you and I are in full agreement there that he's a locked top-five guy. It's just the question is where would you take him uh, among some of those other peers of his at, at the top? And, and I got to be honest, I think you and I probably fall in the same camp, but I, at the very least, have struggled on where I'm slotting him, like, two through four at times um, in terms of, like, where I would be comfortable drafting him. Not necessarily that, that we're ranking these guys. Again, it's, it, it's draft deeper here. It's not like we're whipping out our big boards, mm -hmm. right? But j just in terms of draft slot, like, when, when you're taking somebody with, like, a top three pick, you want to be confident that they have, like, that mean streak in them and, and that they have that grinders-type mentality that they're going to do everything on the court they can to win a game, that they have that nastiness to their game on both ends of the floor, that if a team's in trouble, they're going to be able to look to that player and say, all right, well, carry us. Take me there, right? Um, as Stephen A. Smith likes to say. I don't know if I see that in, in, in Mobley's game when I watch him. Like, like, I, like, like we just listed off a, a, a shit ton of positives about his game. Obviously, we, we also took care of a few of the negatives, but he's an overwhelmingly talented prospect. 
but there's just that other part to his demeanor that I don't necessarily see where we can talk about um, guys that you and I are both high on, like a Jalen Green or, or, or a Suggs, for example. And we know that like they're going to come in, they're going to be the first ones in the building every day, they're going to set the tone, and they're going to be those guys in the locker room that push and drive others. And I don't have that intel to, to be able to say, like, hey, I, I was at a USC practice when coach Enfield really challenged Mobley, like how did he respond? Or when his teammates physically challenged him in, in, in practice and they pushed him to be better, like, like how did he respond? Is he just that, that naturally gifted that he can just overcome some of those warts and he's able to operate on the court, how he is, is he really driven in, in, in workouts? Does he have that drive to him? Like, I don't have the answers to those questions, now, it's not like that you and I have inside connections to some of the other guys near the top of the draft either, but you can just tell from the way they play on the court, like, that's just who they are. Like, I guarantee if you and I went to a Gonzaga practice or um, we, we talked to some of the guys in the G League Ignite staff, they're probably going to tell us those things about Green or Suggs, but I don't know if I'd hear that uh, about Mobley, and that's what gives me a little bit of a cause to, to pause on him. Like, may, maybe if I'm slotting him, maybe if I'm more comfortable taking him with, like, a fourth pick, versus a top three pick, that would definitely play into it. And I, I don't know if you have a different answer for me on that, Cole, if you kind of feel the, the same way about Mobley in terms of where you would take some of these guys near the top. Yeah, with the lack of info, I, I, I personally have him firmly for. Um, I, I agree with you. I think A, Jalen, and, and Jalen, <laughs> both Jalens, um, there's just the level of killer instinct that I'm not sure Mobley has um, and, and if he does, he's just not showing it as obvious. There are, you know, the, the silent killers are out there. They do exist. Um, so maybe just he's one of those guys. Tim Duncan last night into the Hall of Fame, and that's about right. as silent of a killer as it's going to get. But again, that's exactly. like, that's very, that's so rare. So rare. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about one of the maybe best of all time. So at his position. But that said, who knows? Mobley could develop into something, you know, beyond what we're expecting at this point. And that would come from, you know, this area that we don't have all the information of. It would be his demeanor. It would be his drive that sends him over the top. And so, but without knowing that, yeah, I think I have him at four at this point. And that's why, like, we, we have these conversations. I, in particular, have some of these conversations on, on social media with, with other scouts or, or, or media scouts or, or people who are really enthused about um, the draft process and, and how to get better at scouting these guys. And a lot of it comes from intel that, that you and I just don't have right now. Now, hopefully that changes in the upcoming season for the 2022 process when, thank God, we're going to be out of a lot of this COVID stuff. Um, everybody's going to be vaccinated. We're going to be able to get into the gyms again. And, and that's going to change. We're going to be able to make some of those connections, get a little bit of that intel on the side, and that's going to help us make more informed decisions. But right now, if you're just watching film and you're just looking at guys through that lens, the, these are questions that come up. Like, honestly, like the, the, this is how I, I said from the start that I wanted this podcast and anything related to the Draft Deeper platform to come from conversations that you and I both know that like scouts and executives have in the back rooms, like, like at their quote unquote board meetings or war room meetings or whatever you want to call it. Like these are the types of questions that they're asking. These are the types of answers that they want to know. It's not just about what you see on the film. You can pick apart the film all day long and see positives and negatives, but there's so much that goes into player development in relation to the people that these guys have around them and the kind of attitudes and demeanors that they have to achieve their own personal success and hit their own goals that it's just tough to gauge sometimes with some of these guys. And that's definitely going to play into, I think you, you have second on our list here from some of the stats breakdowns we did Zaire Williams. I mean, that question is going to come up for him as well, right? He, he's yeah. a six, eight wing, but he's only 185 pounds. He's absolutely rail thin he, he has skill. It, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, he was a projected top 10 pick before this season started. But I think one of the reasons that he's dropped down is because of some of the physical questions we have about him um, and, and the fact that he didn't really get much developmental time at, at Stanford because of some of the things he was going through, whether it was COVID protocols that he had to come out of because he, he unfortunately, he had to visit a funeral during that time. Um, and the fact that he did get injured and he had to come back from injury and kind of work his way back. And at the end of the year, he, he showed a few more flashes that looked similar to what we saw from the beginning of the season. But you could definitely tell 
after his first few games when he got hurt, he, he was definitely struggling to, to, to stay on the court and, and make a name for himself and get better at the game of basketball. And you wonder how much of that bled into his practice time and some of the practice time they didn't have and time that he was able to spend um, in a weight room and, and really getting better working on his body with some of the coaches and the training staff at Stanford. So these are all things, Cole, that you and I can talk about. We're not even talking about just the film itself. Things that that really make me question where I would take somebody like Zaire Williams. Like again, he he has he has a lot of promise. His shooting stroke is top notch. He can make deep threes, excellent range on his jump shot. He even showed some some signs of being like this movement shooter um, in, in the mid range. Like you can you can run him off a pin down and, and he can get a shot up pretty easy, no problem at that size and and where his releases on his shot. He has a pretty high release on his jumper, so. Not really an easy shot to block, but um, he, he didn't get a lot of time developing his handle. Like when you and I were talking, and I think I definitely mentioned this in the podcast towards the beginning of the season, I thought if he could become like a primary initiator and mm-hmm. he was focused on going up against guard matchups more and more, that would ease some of the physical concerns we have versus him going up against like bigger wings, like six eight six nine fully built wings right away in the NBA and, and somebody being able to put an easy body on him and kind of take him out of the game. That would ease some of those concerns, but his ball handling needs work. It's not that his decision-making in terms of passing the ball and moving it at the right time needs work. I think he actually has pretty decent instincts uh, for, for a six, eight ball handler from that perspective, but just his ability to get to different spots and comfortably take some of those shots or make some of those plays once he gets into the teeth of the defense, he's not a really good playmaker out of traffic. Um, and then obviously defensively, he can be really impactful going up against guards, but some of the stuff we saw from his off-ball defense, particularly earlier in the year, um, and then when he got more playing time later in the season when everything was all good for him, um, he definitely has a lot of work to do on the defensive end as well in terms of both playing in space and containing a matchup. So it's really easy to look at him and say we we shouldn't knock him too, too much because the promise was there preseason, and and we should take a lot of what he did um, for Sierra Canyon into account as well with all the scoring outbursts he had there and his ability to get into the different shots and make things happen kind of like Brandon Boston would be a very similar comparison with how these two stories have played out. But um, Cole, have any of your opinions on on Zaire Williams changed uh, since we've kind of come from the end of the season here. Now we're in more of the pre-draft process. Where, where, where are you at on him, honestly? Yeah, so we were both kind of pondering the idea of, like, you know, shifting him to the guard position early in the season. And that's kind of gone out the window for me at this point. Um, really? Yeah, I, I think, look, I think, I think the kid can play at the next level. Obviously, he's super talented. He's got the size um, and the athleticism, and he, and he can shoot. I think if you're drafting him in the first round, your your team is going to look like it doesn't need him this year at all. And if he contributes, great. Um, but he he was just short of a lost year this year. He almost, I mean, besides the games he did get to play, between the you know what he had to deal with off the court, he probably did miss a lot of practice time. And that I think it definitely bled over to his on court performance, especially on the defensive end, uh, you know, away from the ball, like you mentioned just now. So I think a team is going to want to kind of reset him a little bit. Uh, just wipe this year clean because it didn't really go as best as it could for him, obviously. And I think you kind of, like, I went back and looked at the 2020 and t- 2019 draft, and most of these first-rounders are playing in their rookie year. Yep. And so I think if you want Zaire to play in his first year, you're watering him down to this 3 and D role that a lot of guys have been watered down to in their first year. Um, and then a lot of guys, like, that have gone higher than he probably will in, in their draft, like Denny Abdija was watered down to that role this year. You kind of just, you know, slow the game down for them and let the skill take over at some point and just let them learn how to read the game, give them a limited role where their mistakes aren't going to kill the team all that much, and then just hope you know, hope the light switches on over time. Defense. Do you, think, think, do, you think, do you think his defense is good enough to keep him on the floor? For, for, no, I mean, for not right away. Like I, think, I think, you know, not, not right away, and that's why I said the team is going to, the team that takes him really should be looking at him like, if he contributes this year, great, but if, like, we shouldn't really count on that. I know I said I just got done saying first rounders are going to play, but I think over time, like, yeah, I think you could get him into a bench unit and like, have him cook up some threes. I think his defense could come enough to play on the bench where at his size, he's, you know, he's not like a total, total negative. Yeah, probably like in a normal NBA season, I think next year we're going to get back to more of that routine calendar 
um, scope where, where we're going to have the, those March and April stretches where a lot of teams try and work in some of these rookies and, and, and see what they have in them, give them a little more of a role than they might have had in like November and December. And I definitely think that's what you would expect to see with somebody like Zaire Williams. Because I agree, you're, you're, you're going to have to, you, if you're drafting him in the first round, you have to treat him like a project. Like, like, and that's not necessarily his fault. It's not an indictment on the talent he has, as you and I basically just outlined. It's the fact that he missed so much developmental time in college that it's like you're, you're bringing him into the NBA kind of like some of these guys that are choosing to go to the G League um, and, and come in right away and learn a professional game from the jump. Like, like that you kind of have to put him on that same developmental track and, and look at him through that lens. So it's going to be really interesting to see how high he goes and to what team specifically, because there are other options in this draft who would probably be better suited to, to have a, a little more of an expanded role right out the gate. Like, like we can talk about, okay, um, I, 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 I was going to say, I, I might jump around a little bit here past Christopher and we'll come back to him. But like, let, let's say Zaire Williams falls into this like 20 to 30 range in the draft, right? And you have somebody like Chris Duarte, who's probably going to go in that same range, just given his production this year. Now, now he was he was a transfer into Oregon. He's an older player. Um, he, he's 23 years old, so clearly age isn't on his side from a developmental standpoint. He doesn't have the same upside as some of these guys. But you watch him play at Oregon, and you know for a fact that you're going to be able to plug him in on the wing from from day one. Um, not, not there, he's not the same player as, as, as Desmond Bain, but like similar to how Desmond Bain came in for, for Memphis this year and it has kind of just run away with being able to produce and hit threes and excel in the role that he's given um, and the minutes that he's been able to play. Like you're going to be able to hand a similar type of role to Duarte. You know he's going to make smart decisions with the ball. He's not going to over dribble the hell out of the ball. He's going to hold it. He's going to keep it moving. He's going to pass or he's going to make a shot. Um, he, he can excel in, in, in different play types. Obviously, as his 42% three-point shooting um, is definitely a positive indicator. And I even went back and, and looked at some of the numbers that he was putting up before he even got to Oregon um, and, and lower Juco levels of ball. He, he was a good shooter there as well. So clearly he has a shot that's going to translate to the NBA. Um, and then defensively, I think you have it highlighted here that he is poor in some defensive situations one-on-one because he's not the quickest lateral mover. But he's another guy that, at the very least, he has the instincts to make a play. So I don't think you're drafting somebody like Duarte to definitely be like a full-on starter for you. But if you're asking him to play like 15, 20 minutes a game, I don't think he's going to completely sink a defense by himself because he did average pretty much over two steals per game wherever he was at um, in, in the college ranks. So I think that's going to be able to translate when you look at how he actually makes that happen and how instinctual of a player he is, always keeping his head up, always moving to where the ball is going to go, being able to cut off passes, having active hands when somebody's trying to dribble around him or pass him. Like, I, I'm confident in that part of his defensive game. So like I look at the positives that I can get from Duarte from day one, and I can absolutely understand a team being much more inclined to take somebody like him over a Zaire Williams where like, like if you're content with sitting on a project and letting him develop and, and you trust your staff to get him to where he needs to be, that's perfectly fine. But if you're also a team that just needs talent to be able to contribute off the bench on a cheap rookie deal, like why are you not looking at Duarte? Like why would you take Zaire, Zaire Williams in that sense? So um, how would you kind of... Not, not necessarily comparing the two prospects, Cole. You can give me your thoughts on Duarte, but how would you compare the, the, the two situations of prospect and, and, and what do you think is more likely to play out on draft night given where we are at, at drafting and developing talent in the NBA? Yeah, so you kind of read my mind as I was doing the notes on this the other day. Like I, had, I was pinning Duarte, just from a draft position standpoint, I was pinning Duarte and, and Williams in my head together as well. I think it comes down to, you know, what I just got done saying about the team, the type of team that's looking at Zaire and, and the type of team that's going to look at Duarte is one that's probably going to see him and see his offensive ability and say, we can use that right now. And we want that right now. So I think he could go off the board before Williams. I think there's more teams that are going to see Duarte in that light than they see the light that they, you know, they can develop Williams into the type of player that he might be able to become. So I think, I mean, I, 
to me, Duarte feels like a like a slam dunk Warriors pick. I see this guy operating <laughs> operating on and off the ball like terrifically. He would fit in perfectly amongst you know Steph and Clay. Hopefully, Steph or Clay comes back just fine. He kind of plays. Now that you say that, he kind of plays like Toscano Anderson. Like obviously, yeah. Toscano Anderson's a better athlete, but just yeah, in terms of like how they approach the game, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I was I was honestly gonna say, I was gonna get to saying like he's a little bit of a Toscano Anderson on steroids from an offensive standpoint. Um, I honestly think he could start. I don't. I think if you keep him, and I don't know if like the current Warriors lineup will will allow that, just because Clay's getting up there and Steph's getting up there, and you're running out of you know guys you really want on the on the team's worst ball handler on the other side. Um, but I feel like he could guard up to a three every now and then, and guard down to a, and maybe guard down to a one if the if the guy is like a slower one. You know, say like he's got Luca. You know, they're facing off against Luca. He could probably handle Luca. He's got enough body. I think he's got enough instincts to handle that. So I actually see some starter upside in Duarte. Um, you know, I mean, you pull the numbers. Like, where where doesn't he contribute offensively? Like, he's, like, he's, he's a beast he's, offensively, and I think some of the d- defensive issue is that you know, being the oldest best player on Oregon probably got him the, the toughest defensive assignment on the wing, and maybe he's not built for that, which is fine. But get him at the next level, he doesn't need to do that all the time. You got other players for that, and he's he can really make an offensive go. I think so. I think this this guy is going to be really sought after on draft night. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody trades up to get him. So it, it's funny you say that because um, Matt, Matt Babcock and, and his staff um, have all year pretty much had Duarte as like this potential top 20 guy. And, and you look at a projection like that, and under very normal or very basic circumstances, I should say, like you don't want to be taking a 23-year-old with a top 20 pick normally but there are outliers um like like Corey kispert is a senior who's going to if not go in the lottery is probably going to go right after the lottery um duarte is someone i can absolutely see go with like the like the 20 to 30 range 100 percent. if he goes higher it it wouldn't necessarily shock me depending on the team and if they know um how they're going to be able to plug in a guy like that but yeah like that i i think we've kind of moved past this idea that like johnson went the lottery Cam, Cam Johnson did go in the lottery and I actually defended him on <laughs> on social media the other day. But um, you, you, I think we've gotten past the idea that you can't draft somebody in a certain range if, if they're a certain age. Like there are statistical and, and, and productivity outliers that, that just scream like, who cares about how old this guy is? Yeah, you may be able to draft a project, but if he's just that, he's a project and it doesn't work out for you and you wasted a first round pick where you at like sometimes it is just better to 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 make the pick on the safer guy who you know is going to be able to contribute from day one and i think that's something that gets lost Good in time. the draft landscape nowadays is this idea of day one production like yeah. these guys have to be able to step on the court and, and stay on the court and give you something in the minutes that they're asked to play so that they can develop all of these other skills like you can't you can't just justify taking a guy who might have all of this promise and upside with like a top 10 or a top 20 pick but if he can't get on the court you can't see the light of day to even start developing some of those skills then like what are we talking about here like like that that, that's that's some of the conversation that that i don't understand um and 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 daniel poneman uh who works at beyond um, the the athlete representation company that, that my good family friend EJ Kushner works at. I know the three of us were going back and forth on social media and, and, and me and EJ over texting a little bit this week, but Daniel made a really good point that, yeah, these 3 and D type guys are, are very sought after in the NBA, but if, if you can only bring one of the two, then you better be one hell of a one of the two guys coming into the league to justify being drafted and and earning that type of rotation spot like Zaire Williams could have all of this promise and and we can kind of strip him down and label him as like this three and D type guy coming into the league but at the same time you better be shooting the piss out of the ball if that's the label you're going to be given and you expect to earn more than like eight to ten minutes a night because it's very hard as a rookie to, to crack a rotation as it is and the fact that you've lost all that developmental time, and, and I personally am not necessarily confident in some of the things he's going to be able to do defensively, depending on the position he's playing. But, like, you, you better be one hell of a shooter, or you better be one hell of a defender. 
Duarte may not be your prototypical 3 and D type prospect in terms of he's going to definitely excel at both ends of the floor, but just given some of the instinctual characteristics that I think he has combined with how much we're praising different parts of his offensive game, like, you know that you're definitely getting at least one half of that equation with Duarte. So yeah, why wouldn't you take somebody like him over somebody who may be more of a project? Yeah, to me, the age thing is really not an issue anymore. Like, it's easy to get lost in the vacuum of upside. And I think it happens a lot more on the outside of the NBA than it does on the inside of the NBA, especially with the smarter teams that are drafting these days. And, you know, they, these decisions aren't solely based on upside. They see a guy like Chris Darte, and they, they see they can get him for not sure exactly what 18th, 30th pick is getting paid at this point, but it's probably, what, three and a half to $4 million. And they see a guy they might be able to plug in as a starter for them on, on, on that type of salary. That's what they're looking at. They're not sometimes these teams aren't looking at just the upside and like that's why people get left scratching their head oh how could they not go with this guy he has so much upside well it's like well they're getting this guy that fits perfectly into a system who they on can a plug cheap in deal yeah on a cheap deal for the next four years while they still have two superstars like that's incredibly valuable and so that's where some of the draft picture gets lost on our side of it and i try and i've been trying to maintain that as as i look at it more and more and sometimes you kind of have to move guys up the board a little bit based on that i think at this point see that fits the whole draft deeper mantra right there we quite literally are drafting deeper we're looking like below that. just the pure surface level of watching film and trying to evaluate these guys there's more that goes into scouting than, than just that surface level stuff so it, it is really interesting to be able to talk that out and kind of put those thoughts out there for for our audience for our listeners because I think a lot of that has gotten lost in, in, in people who are trying to make a name for themselves or, or come up and learn as much as they can. You know, it, it, it took me years to, oh, me to figure some of that stuff out. Like, like, and, and you and I have never proclaimed oh, ourselves wow. as these all world scouts. Yeah, right. We still are. But like, even to get to just like that baseline of thinking, like it, it, it took me years. Um, so, so this isn't stuff that just comes overnight. It's about combining everything together. It's about, um, knowing what stats to look at where it's about how you watch and, and, and break down film. And then it's about all of the off court Intel that you can get as well as from a team's perspective, what does our cap situation look like? How are we going to be using some of these picks? Do we need to sell a pick? Do we need to draft and staff somebody overseas who could be an interesting find for us years down the road when we can make better use of that cap space? Like, there's all these different pieces that go into it, and it's such okay. a hard job to do, to do what you and I are trying to do, um, e even outside of a team. Well, especially outside of a team because we don't get all the fancy schmancy intel that they get. But um, mo moving, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, moving on from from those two guys. Uh, I think we can finish out this podcast with, with two guys from Arizona State who definitely caught our eye very early on. I know one of them has still had both of our attention. Um, that would be Josh Christopher. We'll get to Marcus Bagley in a second. But the Josh Christopher conundrum to me is incredibly interesting because you have people out there talking about um, the these instant offense type guys like a Cam Thomas, for example, and everything he does uh, special on the offensive end. Well, Christopher may not have been as prolific uh, uh, of an offensive hub as somebody like Cam Thomas, but at the same time, you go back and you watch the film, and he has examples of pretty much being able to create any shot offensively that you would want him to from from any angle. Um, whether it's different ways finishing around the basket, whether it's um, like, like a runner type shot, whether it's a mid-range pull-up, pick-and-roll scoring, um, catch-and-shoot three-point scoring, um, through shooting off the move. Like, he showed examples that, that he pretty much has every tool in his bag to work with. It's just a matter of developing the consistency of those shots and, and, and being able to do them at more volume to live up to the type of promise that he has as a 6-5 shooting guard. Um, I, I, granted, yeah, some of the percentages, like I said, they, they weren't great. He, he has he a, a few issues with shot selection, although I think you and I would agree some of those are a little bit overblown. 
Um, because there are absolutely times where you would expect somebody like Christopher, who has this reputation um, of this reckless scoring guard, all he cares about is putting points on the board. You'd expect him to like crash into the lane or crash into a defender at times. And he would just kind of go in, probe the defense, see what was going on. He'd actually pull the ball out at times, which is that that's a very mature sign um, of of not just a scoring guard, but also just a playmaker in general. Uh, being able to take advantage uh, of what the defense gives you, noticing where the gaps are, being able to run out and transition, figure out how to fill a lane properly and get easy points that way. Like, like not all not all these prospects that we could talk about even know how to like fill a lane properly <laughs> in, no. in, in, in transition. Like that that is a skill. Like when you look at some of these synergy stats that you and I do, um, we break down who's in different percentiles in terms of where they're at in, in transition or spot-ups and in pick-and-roll ball handling. A lot of these prospects come in, they're actually not rated that well in transition um, because they really don't look to get active in that part of the game. But guys like Christopher, for example, who look to get going off of a runout can pick up points easily like that. They don't have to worry about some of the other ways they have to score um, in, in the half court. But where are you kind of at, Cole, on, on Christopher in terms of comparing him to, to some of these other scoring two guards that you may be able to find in the draft? And, and, and what kind of value do, do you see in Christopher and in, in him being able to have when he steps in the NBA from day one? Yeah, I'm still really high on Christopher. And I'm, I think I might be higher on him still than I am Cam Thomas. I know, that's where I was at at the beginning of the season. Then Cam Thomas kind of came on strong. Um, that might have been as much a product as LSU playing better than Arizona State. Arizona State just kind of fizzled out this year real, in a big way after a promising start. So that was unfortunate. Um, but for, for Christopher to have this label of being a, a chucker, I think is pretty wrong. He has the same turnover rate that Cam Thomas did, which is 1.7 per game. Um, and like you said, he's really good at probing and, and pulling the ball back out and making something happen. Arizona State didn't have a ton of guys to make stuff happen with this year uh, at different times with the injuries and just the lack of depth that they have. But like you like you mentioned, this guy's a bull in transition. Whether it's you know getting his own or or getting it for somebody else, but he is a bull. He knows how to score. Um, he can change his pace up with the ball in his hands. Like he, he gets right to the rim and scores pretty much every time in transition, unabated, or is willing to take the contact and get there just as easily as well. And that's NBA stuff. So I don't think that should be diminished one bit. Um, I think you hinted at it. He got better as the season went on as a shooter. He made 12 of his 18 total threes um, in his last seven games, which I think was less than half of his season. So he did get better as a three-point shooter as the, as the year went on. I don't. And by the way, that season was in flux too. Yes. Like, like, he was in and out of the lineup. The, the Remy Martin was out of the lineup for a lot of the season due to different circumstances. Like the, like his Maybe main table center point guard. Exactly. So like that whole team was in flux all year. Right. And so, and that's to my ultimate point here is like, without Remy is where I think kind of Christopher lost his way a little bit. I don't want Christopher being a full-time ball handler and maybe he will get there in six to seven years. (laughs) That's way down there. I I get that. But if I'm a team in in the NBA right now with like a veteran type backup point guard or a backup point guard who really can't get his own offensively, I am salivating at Josh Christopher because I want that. I want him next to that point guard and I want him to learn the game and then kind of lead my second unit. I think he could be capable of doing that from an early start in his career. Um, maybe not from day one, day one, but like pretty pretty soon, I think Josh Christopher has the ability to to lead a second unit or at least, you know, at least part-time uh, offensively. This kid reads the game really well, I think. And I think teams will learn that if they get a chance to interview him. And we didn't even hit it yet, his defense. His, yeah. his one-on-one defense, being able to sure. hold his own. He rated out as excellent in spot-ups. Um, if you have him on an island... He has the size, the foot speed, um, and, and some of the technique uh, to, to, to be able to contain a one-on-one matchup. Obviously, some, some things that he struggled with off the ball. I mean, every rookie coming into the, the damn league, like they're going to struggle defending off the ball. Like, like we had Coach Thorpe on, and, and he made it very clear that like a lot of these rookies, they just don't know how to play defense at the NBA level because they need to, to catch up to the speed of the game first. And then they kind of have to build out to there. So not that I'm going to hammer home the like, oh, Josh Christopher's off-ball defense isn't that great. He needs to definitely bring up his level of awareness. No, he at least competes. He tries. He keeps his head up. And, and like I said, when he's in one-on-one situations, some of these guys that we can talk about in this draft class and, and in draft classes in general don't even know how to sit in a freaking stance. Christopher <laughs> at least knows how to sit in a stance. 
uh, move his feet well, keep his head up, keep his head on a swivel, um, and, and, and hold his own. So, yeah, he might be a little slow on a closeout or, or, or moving to, like, the other side of the court, and, and some of those things will just come over time. It's not like he, he doesn't have the athleticism and the speed to be able to close out or, or, or make a move like that, but it's just awareness things that he can pick up over time. But, yeah, like, like if we're talking about him being able to hold his own defensively in man situations like do you trust cam thomas to hold his own in man situations i don't uh he what we we can talk about his effort and and whether he was trying it at all times on on defense or or not maybe some of that comes back to his conditioning because he was asked to do so much offensively and he was jacking up so many shots getting back to the other end of the floor yeah he was probably a little gassed on defense particularly later in games um but that's some of the balance again you see with christopher for someone who is labeled as a jack at the very least, he knows how to operate within an offense and not completely wear himself down to the point where he can lean on on some of those tech, uh, technical aspects he has on the defensive end, and he's not going to completely sink you there. Matter of fact, he could potentially be like an above-average defender in the NBA, the guard spot. So, like, what like, what are we talking about here? Like, like clearly, these are these are two similar skill sets. Yeah, and he's really well put together, and only nineteen. Yeah, he does have an NBA body. I thought about that too when I was watching some more of him today. So, Absolutely. This, kid is, I, this is the type of kid where, like, maybe it does, like, another 10, 15 pounds does just naturally come on and it, it looks fine and he's a freak next time we see him. Who knows? I think he's honestly he's hiding in plain sight. Like, like yep. the, this kid is, is a lottery level talent who's hiding in plain sight. Um, there, there's so many of these international guys that, that have jumped onto the scene and, and are taking some of these spots of of these domestic prospects that we can talk about. But I think, I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of teams are, are, are going to regret passing on, on somebody like Christopher. Um, and, and you and I will probably revisit the international guys for like the, the umpteenth time as we get closer to the draft with, with, with some kind of guess. but I, I've soured on a few of those guys a little bit. Our, our man, Alperin Shengun is still killing it, still tearing it up. I, I yeah. tweet, like I swear to God, I tweet almost every day that like the kid just screams yeah. star power. Um, and I've come around on Garuba, but like some of those other international guys, like we have so many interesting domestic guards in particular, like, like somebody yeah. like a Jerry Butler or a Josh Christopher, they're like, I'm just not passing. I'm not comfortable passing on some of these guys when I know that yeah. to me, given levels of success they've had at like the high school AAU levels and then how they've been able to translate some of that production to college, giving us signs of tools that they have that they're going to be able to work with from day one in the NBA, just seeing some of the guys that they were able to play against. Like I'm just more confident in what I'm going to get from those guys. And, and that matters to me versus just com- completely shit. Shout out to Chuck on chucking darts, but um, just, just chucking a dart at the dartboard with some of these guys and just hoping that you hit a bullseye. Like that, that's not an appealing draft strategy to somebody like me. And, and that's why I think you and I agree on a lot of the same points that you and I think about scouting and, and evaluation that same way when we're, if you and I would have to make a pick on some of these guys. Yeah. I feel like the draft community might be trying to overcompensate for not rating international prospects as highly as they did in the last few years and they're like trying to come around to the fact that international play is better than they once thought and this process they're leaving behind some of these domestic prospects that you're talking about and maybe i'm totally off here but just kind of what i feel like i'm observing i agree i i wouldn't like you have to be able to keep both in mind and like when you see guys have a certain level of success domestically like they have to be put a certain place in the draft order and then you know same with the international guys so i don't know it's just about maintaining a level head throughout all of this. Yeah, and, and maybe Josh Christopher or somebody like that doesn't, doesn't have like superstar upside. But if we're talking about a guard who can maybe average like 17 to 18 points per game in time, who can hold his own defensively, be able to shoot from the perimeter and play make as like a secondary creator when he has to, like that's a starting player in the NBA. Like, what are we talking about then? Like, okay. not all of these guys are going to be absolute stars. Like, like. Jalen Noel. <laughs> your your boy noel you still love that dude i i like yeah. him too but um th- th- there's just like a point to be made and i've had this conversation with some other people behind the behind the scenes over the last few weeks but there's just a point to be made that like using the phrase like can you build around this guy or like that i i fucking hate when people use that <laughs> phrase sometimes and, and i mean that in like the nicest way because like how many guys in the NBA can you realistically build an offense around? 
Like honestly, like like it's what like it's what like a handful yeah. out of like out of like maybe five, close to five hundred guys. If we're lucky to get one or two of those guys in this draft class, like I'd be ecstatic. Um, and, and, and like I got into some of that in an argument too with Jalen Green, which hopefully we'll we'll get to um, on another pod coming this week. That's a that's a spoiler teaser alert for our audience out there. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the G League guys, but like yes, yeah, like some of the stuff that we're talking about, like ultimate upside. Or like, can you build around? It's like, no, you're looking, you're looking to draft NBA players. You're right. looking to draft talent who can come in, contribute where, wherever they can from day one, who have the work ethic and the mindset to develop and get better, do whatever it takes to get better. Um, and, and you see that from Christopher too. Like, 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 like some of the stuff you, you read and see about Christopher, he's clearly a worker on the court. He wants to get better. I don't think he's a dumb kid. Like, like the, the, yeah, like the, these are all things that you like to see from from these players, and I guess like we talked about um, Cam Thomas too, with some of the the, the lack of decision making that you can point to in his offensive game. But like he's clearly not a dumb kid either, and that 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 even though we're not trying to prop up Cam on this podcast, like that helps his case too. Like these are all things that you need to look at when, when you're evaluating these guys, and that's why yeah, you and I are in agreement. We're in lockstep. You can't leave somebody like Josh Christopher behind just to throw a dart and and and, and take a swing on just absolute pure upside, um, and, and and that's gonna that's gonna lead us into the last guy we're gonna talk about in the podcast this week, Marcus Bagley, um, six eight, two hundred fifteen pounds. Obviously, you recognize the last name. He has he has the bloodlines. He he's got a brother in the NBA who had excellent promise. Marcus is not that same player. What he does have going for him, he has an NBA Ray body, ready body. He's going to come around and he's going to be able to bang a little bit here and there in the league. He's not going to look out of place. Um, and he has a shooting stroke. He, he, he's shown examples throughout the season where he can shoot it off the catch. You can run him off the screen. You can get it, shoot on the move. Um, he, he has that going for him. But you texted me before we started recording this podcast, Cole. Like, do you, would you put like first round grades on, on all these guys? Bagley is probably the one that I wouldn't put a first round grade on as we're standing today. Um, I don't think I could drop Zaire Williams that low. I think I kind of would have to keep him in the first round, just given some of the preseason stuff and, and going back yeah. to high school, a lot of the things we know he has to work with, but like Bagley, like God, what, what, what does he do besides shoot the ball? Like, like I understand that he's competitive on defense. Um, he, he's willing to throw his body around a little bit. Um, he, he, he can grab some rebounds every now and then, but like fr- from, from a scoring perspective, from like a one-on-one defensive standpoint, like, like I just don't see it. Like, like there are so many times when he tries to take the ball to the rack or he tries to move off of a cut and like, he won't even get the shot up at the rim. Like somebody either strips some of the ball when he's trying to get there or like, like he gets his shot blocked because he's not like the same level of vertical athlete at that size as like some of these other guys. Like, like he doesn't have a tight handle. It doesn't keep the ball close to his body. Like he can get stripped. So, and I just don't think he has a lot of natural touch around the basket either. Like he doesn't really have a runner game or a floater game. Um, so like he, he's purely a shooter. I don't know if any of that about his game is necessarily going to change as he gets older in the NBA. So we're talking about a six, eight shooter. But if that's all we're talking about, and he's not like a net positive on defense, I don't know why, why would I take that with a first round pick? You know what I mean? Like, um, it's not not to say that like Bagley isn't a prospect who doesn't deserve a shot in the NBA. No, it's not what we're saying. But I'm saying like there are other, there are more interesting players who who have a few more tricks to their trade to be able to lean on versus somebody like Bagley who seems like exclusively a shooter. Um, with, with, with size and a little bulk to him, and like that's it. You know what I mean? So like, where where are you at? I I know you kind of like Bagley early on too, as did I. Where 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 are you kind of? Have you soured on his game a little bit? No, I think I pretty much held water on his game. I'm with you on like if he's not a first round, if he is a first round pick, it's like 29 or 30th, right? That's when he would probably go, at least for me. Yep. Um, but I think I think there is a place for him in the league. Like you said, he's a shooter. I think he's a pretty good shooter, honestly. Arizona State, like the stuff that he's able to set up uh, from a fluidity standpoint with his size and like getting into his shot on the wing, I think is really impressive for his age. I don't think Arizona State really had anybody that was, you know, capable of setting him up as well as he used to be set up for that. Um, that said, I don't think he's got starter upside necessarily um, and should be and should be starting. 
I think his defense is pretty good. I was pretty intrigued by the pick and pop stuff that Synergy caught. He didn't have a ton of possessions or examples of it, but he rated his points per points per possession was 1.2, which was pretty impressive. Um, I don't know. Maybe is he is he like a bench four who can pick and pop and, and shoot the lights out? Like, is that what his role is ultimately? You know, you know who he really you know who he really reminds me of in terms of like if he puts it together and like if it works. I really look at his game like Sadiq Bay this year for, yeah. for Detroit, and, and, and the re- the reason behind that is that like you know that Bagley's going to come in, he's going to shoot more threes than twos, like, like like guaranteed in the NBA, and that's pretty much what Sadiq Bay does to this point. But but what Bay had going for him that you harped on um, for so much leading up to that draft because we're we're Philly guys, we we watch Villanova, we study Villanova guys, um, is that he had like that mid range craft scoring around the basket to be able to, to to hang his hat on when things weren't going so well for him from three. Like, is Bagley going to be able to to replicate at least some of that to give it, to add another dimension to his offense to the point where he's not just exclusively spotting up in a corner? Because, like, it's not like Sadiq Bey isn't working. Like, I, I, would, I, I had him on my all-rookie second team when we did the awards ballots last week with the overstated guys. So it's, it's not like I don't like Sadiq Bey. Um, but I'm not fully convinced that like that's definitely the long-term answer for 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 one of those Detroit Pistons roster spots either. It's just a player who wants to exclusively shoot threes. Like I do think at some point teams are going to figure that out. They're going to wall him off, and like even somebody like Bay is going to have to go back to leaning into some of that mid-range stuff and, and more of that stuff, cutting and finishing around the basket, just a little more often sooner rather than later. Um, but, but at least Bay has that, or, or he, he's shown that he's been able to do that in the past. Like Bagley hasn't even proven that to me. So like, I, I, I just, I, I, I just don't know like how much value he's really going to bring when it's all said and done. And like his first few years in the league to even develop some of those other skills. Now, now if, if I'm wrong and he is the better shooter that you're kind of picturing him and projecting him to be like let's say he he's shooting like 39 40 percent from three and we just turn around we go holy cow like all right like that's value but if he's only like middling like like if he's shooting like that 34 percent mark on like the same volume that he was on college on like six three points attempts per game he's not really taking any shots meaningful shots inside the arc then like what are we talking about yeah no i I do see him getting to that 39 40 mark actually that i kind of am projecting pretty favorably on the shot okay. and, um but I, I think that will come from he, he does have the bloodlines i think their family does work despite some of the the stuff we've heard out of sacramento i, th- I think that the family does work bagley has shown to be a little bit better here coming off the injury he was in some uh, good games recently yeah he has yeah so you know i, I don't want to i don't want to put how bad marvin's start to his career on on marcus you know that's unfair mm-hmm. so i think I don't know. Maybe I might talk myself into taking him late in the first, but I think he's got like a Tory Craig like floor. And then, like you said, could he develop into the Sadiq Bay where we, we hope to see next year out of Bay at least, you know, where he's got that mid range to complement the the three deadly three three point shot. Do you think that he's technically sound defensively, or do you think a lot of it just comes from him being this 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 six eight big body guy? Uh, who who can rough up on some guards at times and, and, and he can box some guys out just because of his pure size and the fact that he actually gives a shit and is willing to move to the ball. Like, how how much do you think is just, like, him having size advantages over others in college versus him actually being um, good at defense and good on the boards? That's a, that's a really good question. I'd probably have to go back and watch that a little bit more with that in mind specifically. Um, I, I would say both at this point. I don't think he was necessarily a technically lockdown defender at any time this season. So I, I'd probably lean to the fact that he was getting by on some size. But at the same token, I think out of everybody on this list, this is the kid I'd probably want to see the most in a, in a workout right now. Just yep. like, yep. I need to see what else you got. I'm, I have no idea. <laughs> I want I want the Mobley interview and I yep. want the, the, the Marcus Bagley workout. I, I, I agree 100%. Um, because you pulled the numbers. I mean, rating out excellent in pretty much every category except guarding the ball handler and pick and roll sets, like where you even outlined like he's still rated very good. Like that's noteworthy. That's yeah. that's that's a defensive projection that's noteworthy. And when you combine that with someone who could be like a forty percent shooter in the league, like absolutely, then then maybe maybe I am too low on the kid. Maybe you have to have him firmly in, in the first round, despite some of my concerns. But 
I, I he, he's just someone I've had a really tough time projecting into how he's going to fit in the NBA in his first few years um, and, and what kind of rope he's going to be given. So, I, I mean, maybe I, I need to even go back and, and, and watch some, some more film of him. Um, Not at, much. At, I mean, a lot of this season, too. Arizona State had a, a weird year, man. And that, to his credit, yeah, if we talked about that with Christopher, he he was in flux this this year too. Like it, it was, it was it was just a weird year. So maybe I need to give the kid a, a, a little more slack. So all right, all right, late first round, late first round. Ooh, we, we, wow. can, we, we, we 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 can agree on that one. There you go, late late first round, great. But well, it's not like I didn't have it's early no, second. I I I, I would have had him like picks thirty one through thirty three right. or thirty four anyway. So like slight move up, like. Good, good, good on him. But that that's pretty much going to do it for this week. We just wanted to, to have some more quick conversations about these Pac-12 guys. It's been a while since we revisited some of them. Um, like I said, next podcast, we're going to have the guys from the Draft Act podcast on, Albert and Corey Taluba. Um, the, those guys are absolutely magnificent. If you don't subscribe or listen to their Draft Act podcast, um, or, or see some of the stuff that Corey's been doing with the Hardwood Herald. Like you're, you're missing out. You need to see some of that stuff. Um, so we're excited to have those guys on next to talk about some of the G League prospects. Um, but in the meantime, thank you again so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you like to listen to a podcast. Like it, comment, leave us a review, do anything you can, give us a shout out. It really means a lot to us and it only helps the podcast grow more and more. I, I, I've been tweeting recently that our numbers from an audio perspective have looked excellent. Uh, I can't wait to see those numbers keep going up and up and up, especially as we get closer to draft time. I seriously thank everyone for, for the support that we've gotten. I, I, I like to think that Cole and I kind of give this space a little bit of fresh air, like, right? Like we're, we're, we're doing this because we want to have these conversations. We want to learn and we just love it, period. So we're, we're, we're not trying to, to throw too much at anybody. We're just trying to bring our audience in, have conversations with you guys. So make sure to reach out to us on social media as well, Twitter, at DraftDeeper, like our Facebook page, send us a message, whatever, man. We're, we're always willing to talk to, to anybody and, and learn ourselves. And hopefully we can keep imparting a little bit of wisdom that, that Cole and I have learned over the years from doing this stuff too. So, um Thank you all for listening again. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.